0: Would you just close your eyes and, and uh, get ready to pray with me? Just wonderful that we get to worship God together and that He calls us to be worshipers. Whatever else we are, the Bible says that we're called to be a people who worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And I just want to recognize a moment before we open the Bible together that we're worshippers first. God has seen fit to put his spirit within ordinary people and to invite them into a life of intimacy and of relationship with him, direct, not just through another, but direct. So as you just close your eyes and as I get ready to pray, let me just remind you that whatever your ministry might be, If it's a counseling ministry, there will be the day when the counselor stops counseling. There will be a day, praise God, when the pastor stops pastoring. There will be a day when the evangelist stops evangelizing. Because when we're in glory, face to face with the Lord, there'll be no need for those ministries. When the shepherd, when the great shepherd is there, no more shepherds are needed. But there will never be a day, there will never, ever, ever, ever be a day when the worshipper stops worshipping for all eternity. That is what God the Father, Jesus the Son, the Holy Spirit calls us, invites us, enables and empowers us to be. So let's worship just for a moment. Father God, in this place, this day, with our words, our songs, our whispers, maybe even our tears, we worship you. You are worthy of all our praise. And such as we have it, Lord, we recognize our words are not enough. Our our words are not enough. They're like baby talk. But you have chosen... To accept the worship of ordinary people, of babes and infants. And so we worship you. and We declare you're Lord in this place. You've come to us personally. And even this afternoon, in this time, you're going to speak to us through your word. We say, come Holy Spirit. Have your way with us. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 If you have a Bible... Uh, you might want to turn with me this afternoon to the book of Acts in chapter 16. It's just been a real joy already to be here in KT today. And uh, in the earlier services, I uh, preached the same message. It's a different one now, but you can, I know, uh, check that one out online if you want to later on. But I've been moving uh, into a very, very simple theme that that God, through Jesus and by his Holy Spirit comes to real people in real places to give us new purpose for living. In other words, through time, the grace of God is such that he finds people personally, comes into your world, he comes into your circumstances, he knows you intimately, he's made you. And he's pursuing you and I with a relentless love, in order that he might not only meet with us in a moment, but turn us into his people, loose in a real world, in real places, with a great new sense of his call upon our lives. And I want to come this afternoon in this session to a moment in the life of a man, a man that becomes one of the key characters in the New Testament. His name He starts the story as Saul of Tarsus. He becomes Paul the Apostle. And we meet him at a moment in time in the midst of the rush of the baby church, growing into uh, its purpose and its destiny as it spreads out around the world. Acts chapter 16. And we're going to read from verse 6, just uh, uh, four or five verses together. So Acts 16 reading from verse 6. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. When they'd come up to Mycenae, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mycenae, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him And saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision immediately, we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. It's a moment in the extraordinary life of an extraordinary man. I've called it stuck at Troas. The Apostle Paul is one that's gone down in history when as a young man, as a religious man, as a young man that had been uh, exemplary in studying his faith. He'd studied in Jerusalem with a man called Gamaliel who was the finest teacher of his age. And, and, and young Saul of Tarsus had so excelled and marked himself out as a man wanting to to know and understand the Scriptures and the culture and the background of his people, that he'd been promoted. We first hear about him when he's standing by an accomplice to the murder of Stephen, one of the first followers of Jesus. And there in the early chapters of Acts, we hear of this church, this, this group of believers after the resurrection of Jesus who fill with the Holy Spirit, fill Jerusalem with the name and the good news of Jesus, radically and and, and with extraordinary courage and, and, and a wonderful sense of God coming upon them, empowering them. They fill the city. Saul is marked out as one of those in that time that is an enemy of Jesus. So I want you to imagine for a moment, a young, zealous, passionate, young religious guy, a scholar, a great mind, excelling, wanting to please God, but so convinced that he's doing right, that he actually sets himself out to eliminate the Christian faith and to wipe out the name of Jesus, not just from Jerusalem where he is, but from anywhere and everywhere where the Christians and the name of Christ would go that's when we meet him in acts chapter 9 he's on his way to damascus it's in the news isn't it today that in the nation of syria now saul in acts 9 is heading to damascus with letters with letters of introduction to the jewish community there and he's on a mission to find christians to bring them to arrest them, to throw them into jail, to do whatever's necessary for them to be removed from the public arena, and if possible, to reject and renounce their faith. But then on the journey in Acts 9, Saul has an encounter. He's thrown from his horse, those around him, there's a sound, there's a, a, just a, a, an extraordinary experience. And we begin to see in Acts 9, that this man, this young man, so fanatical in his faith, but an enemy of Christ, hears from Jesus himself directly. It's called the Damascus Road experience. It's been borrowed, that phrase, hasn't it, for many other uh, times or situations where somebody might have a complete turnaround in life, have some kind of revelation, some kind of epiphany, some kind of moment of change but for young Saul, it was a very real moment. He would mark the rest of his life from that moment on a road to Damascus where suddenly Jesus himself appeared to him, spoke to him, and gave him what later on in Acts 26, when he's standing before King Agrippa, he would call a vision from heaven. Gave him a vision for his life that would change everything. So here we are, this Young, great scholar, determined to do right by his faith and his people, where everything changes in a moment of encounter. And he becomes a man not persecuting Jesus and his name and his people, but following him. Absolutely sold out from that moment on to following the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Time goes on, and the book of Acts, written by Luke, the gospel writer, begins to chart the fact that from that moment on, Saul's life takes on a new purpose and a new direction. He becomes one that quickly wants to share his newfound faith. A man by the name of Barnabas takes him with him to Jerusalem and quickly... Saul, with his great intellect and his newfound faith in Jesus, is uh, debating and arguing for the fact, the reality that Jesus Christ is the promised Messiah and the Saviour of the world. But very shortly, that brilliance in debate, that newfound zeal and passion, causes all kinds of problems in Jerusalem. And so rather than it being a time of, Tremendous fulfillment for the young, newly following Jesus Saul. It becomes a time of huge conflict. In Jerusalem, Saul's newfound joy and freedom and, and zeal for Jesus begins to stir up others in the city. I want to just fast forward in the story a couple of things, but suffice to say, his first steps as a follower of Jesus are not great ones. He's got a great heart, great intellect, great new experience. But he's a babe in following Christ. And he stirs up all kinds of opposition. In fact, when we read it for ourselves in the book of Acts, we see that the believers in Jerusalem are glad when he leaves the city. Because it's like he's too hot to handle. Wherever he goes, trouble starts. And as yet, this young guy, zealous for Jesus, doesn't yet have the maturity to understand, or the sensitivity to understand what it is that he's supposed to do. Full of zeal, full of newfound experience, but not yet mature. We find him coming up again in Acts chapter 11, when a brand new church, in fact, in Acts 8, first of all, when in Acts 8, a brand new church is starting in Antioch, the first Gentile church, and a man by the name of Barnabas that's already been his friend, goes to Antioch and begins to look at what God is doing. And he thinks of a man called Saul that he remembers from those days in Jerusalem and goes and finds him. It's been 14 years from Acts 9 through to Acts 11 where we hear that Barnabas brings in Saul, now Paul, to help him to build up the church in Antioch. We now meet Saul, Paul, the apostle, in Acts 16, way down the track. He's become a great preacher of the good news of Jesus in all kinds of nations and people that are not his own. He's become one that is like a forerunner, a pioneer, setting up churches in city after city and town after town, reaching people And and, and just going with tremendous power in his words and Jesus healing the sick and casting out evil spirits and just setting people free wherever he goes. But suddenly we meet him at a moment in his life that he was not prepared for. As a man that's living then with an absolute sense of calling and an absolute sense of the personal love and revelation of Jesus for his own life. And here he comes to a moment in time when it seems like there's this unstoppable direction that God's taking him in. Look with me at the passage we read once again. They went through the region of Phrygia, Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. These words leap off the page to me (laughs) because forbid is a really strong word, If there are any parents here, you know, it's not the first word that you go to if you want to tell your child not to do something. Forbid is quite a way down the list. Because if you play that one too early, there's nowhere to go. I forbid you to have that chocolate cake. Pastor Colin was talking about chocolate cake. We had some to celebrate his birthday. I forbid you to have another piece. And the little hands go out and take the chocolate cake. Gone in a minute. Where do you go from forbid? It's a strong word here. We're told that Paul, the apostle, who's gone from place to place, who's gone into different cultures and different groups with a passion to tell them the good news of Jesus, wants to go to Asia, wants to go right, wants to turn right from where he is and go into Asia but that somehow, some way, the Bible says he's been forbidden by the Holy Spirit. It kind of needs to be in yellow highlighter pen, that bit. Forbidden by the Holy Spirit. I want you to think about what it must be for a man who's seeking to follow God, or a, a, a man or a woman seeking to follow God, and you somehow get to understand that the direction you're trying to go in The Holy Spirit says, no way. That's where we are. It's unusual, isn't it? All his passion, all his desire that the whole world would know. But this time, the Holy Spirit has told him not to go to Asia. Why? It's It's clearly not because God doesn't love Asia, that God doesn't want to break into new places there. But at this moment in Paul's life, God is saying, no, don't go. Just look at the very next thing that we read. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Now, I, I'm sorry. I just want to note something there. I think I found in my understanding and my studies that Bithynia is in Asia, wait a moment, didn't Paul already know and understand that God had said, don't go there, don't go to Asia? You see, real people, real places, real story. It seems this man who follows God, who knows his ways, who knows his word, who's so keen to share the good news of Jesus with the whole world, that he'll go anywhere, any place. But this man knows that God has said, I don't want you to do it there. I don't want you to go there. He's not explained why yet, but he said no. But the Bible, very honestly, very simply tells us he tries to go another way to the same place. Have you ever tried to do something like that? Maybe in life, you know, you're going in a certain direction and you feel that It's not right for your life. You feel like God might be saying, no, 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 no. That's not what I have for you. That's a no-go area for your life. Don't go there. And and we kind of know that, but we have this way, don't we, of keep on trying to go the way that we are biased to go, are drawn to go, are keen to go, or are naturally defaulting to go. Very clearly, I love it that the Bible shows us that because it sounds so human. It sounds like you and me. The Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. I love also the fact that here we've got like the, 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 the spotlight going on to something that really is a moment of some challenge for Paul. You see, I don't know about you, but I read the Bible and sometimes I can make it seem like it was so easy for them. We read the highlights of the story of great men and women of God who've lived before, and and we kind of put them up here on some kind of pedestal. Like, they never struggled like we struggled. They didn't have bad days. They had just high days. But it's not so. This is real stuff. And here is a guy that, with all his heart, he's planted loads of churches he's been involved in seeing amazing change in whole societies and towns and cities as well as individuals and at this time the way he wants to go god says no i said god says no this is not the enemy saying no this is not the world saying no this is god saying no not your way not your that no forbidden still forbidden and I want to suggest to you that it comes a moment of challenge for a man that's so driven by desire to please God. Well, he's had that passion all his years, but now he's serving the real deal. He's serving Jesus with everything he has. And he gets to a point in his life where he is suddenly stuck in a little place called Troas. It's almost incidental. It doesn't make the feature of the, the great Bible uh, places on the tourism guide it's not Jerusalem it's not Rome it's not Corinth it's not Ephesus it's not Phili- it's not many of these places that have bible books right ra- named after them it's a little place called Troas and in a moment when he's wanting to go from place to place and trailblaze for Jesus Paul is suddenly stuck there so passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas I wonder whether you've ever been in a place that you didn't want to be, whether you've ever found your life kind of constraining you in some way to a place, nothing wrong with the place necessarily, but it's just not where you planned to be. It may be in your career, it may be in your emotional life, your relationships, it may be in This or that way. But you find yourself in a place that you didn't expect to be. This is something that I recognize. My own life. Times where I thought I was heading in one direction. Only to find delay at the very least. Maybe some sense of confusion. Of discontent. Of impatience, I have to say, being back in Kensington Temple today, I remember a man who was very impatient. His name was Wynne Lewis. He was the senior pastor of this church when I first joined the church in 1985. And Pastor Colin worked alongside him till he took the church uh, over and took it on in other ways. But I remember Pastor Wynne. Well, the first Sunday I was the worship leader in the nine o'clock service. He gave me one song, three and a half minutes. And then he wanted the service back. And the, the, at the 11 o'clock, I think I got 10 minutes just to kind of lead the congregation. And he'd be itching at the back of this platform. It was a little bit smaller then, but not much. He'd be impatiently waiting to get on and lead the next thing. We described him as the most impatient man. And, and, and for the main part, that was used in zeal and real uh, radical leadership to call many of us to... Do things in serving and loving Jesus. But I remember a man called Wynne Lewis who was incredibly impatient. He couldn't wait till tomorrow if you could do something right now. I want to suggest to you, I think the Apostle Paul was the most impatient man in the New Testament. I think his whole life was driven by a cause. Type A, personality. And he gets stuck at Troas wants to go here, wants to go in this direction, and he has no plan B. But it's in the very place as he's halted, as he's held rather than, well, he's held in the purposes of God, not hindered in them, but he's hindered from going the direction he thought that he was going to go. Sometimes God gets us to a place where we're in a holding pattern, you ever been coming into to land in an airport and they say, ladies and gentlemen, we have just been given uh, some directions from uh, kind of traffic control that, we're, we, that we can't land just yet and we're going to need to just circle around a little bit. And you sink back in your, your seat and just begin to circle. It's a holding pattern. Waiting for the time to come in praise God, and land the plane. A holding pattern. A moment of unexpected delay. A season when you thought everything was going in one direction, but suddenly. And I, I, I guess that we could identify that in all kinds of ways in our lives. But the spotlight comes on this guy who's seeking to serve God with everything he has. And it's a moment that was Unexpected. Verse 9, they're in Troas. The most impatient man in the New Testament is stuck at Troas, not knowing what next. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. In the place that he probably least expects, or at least expects, a new word to come, a breakthrough to come, a revelation to come. When I, I can imagine he could barely sleep because he's so frustrated. God speaks to him in the night. Some of you today, one of the things I'm here to do is to say to you, when you come to a place of delay... When you come to a place of confusion in the progress of your life, there is a God who wants to speak to you personally right into the midst of that situation, right in the midst of all your anxiety, all of your concern, confusion, misunderstanding, frustration. There's a God who wants to give you the next step for your life, who wants to give you, not necessarily... The download, all in great detail, for every single step. But the next step. And that's a moment in Troas. When he thought he was going in another direction, frustrated where he is. God speaks to him in the night. I praise God for a God that wants to speak to us. He wants to speak to you in your character. He knows you. He knows how you're wired. Some of you, you're going to hear God in the worship amidst hundreds of voices. When you're singing a song and your heart begins to stretch and open, and you hear his voice, you hear his, be strong. You hear his, I'm with you. You hear his, this is the way. You hear his loving, assuring, and affirming voice. I'm yours and you're mine. Some of you, it'll be when you're going about the day, the week, the stuff of life, maybe in college or maybe in the office or maybe walking the streets or just in the stuff that you're doing. And and, and all of a sudden, there's a whisper, there's a nudge, there's a voice, the sense that God is with you now and is speaking something fresh. Some of you, it's when you go away, it's a retreat. It's a kind of getting out and getting out of the usual and the familiar. And God uses that as a moment to speak words into your life that are more than just words of yesterday. They're new, fresh words to step into today. You see, when you think you're stuck in the purposes of God, I want to absolutely absolutely assure you, he is not wasting time. He's a God that's in time, always in season, never out of season. But in due time, he's adding revelation and, 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 and a sense of understanding of his nature, his purposes, who you are in him, so that you'll be ready to take the steps that he's about to open. There's this this amazing sense in Paul's life and ministry where he comes to understand that. Later on in some of the letters to the churches, he asked them to pray for him for a door of opportunity to be opened so that he could take that opportunity for Jesus. That's a cool prayer. Lord, will you give me a door of opportunity? Just a picture, a metaphor for us. A door of opportunity so I can say some stuff for you, so I can live for you. Right? You may be thinking, right, now it's not opening. They don't listen to me. Nobody's paying any notice. I I don't know what to say next. But will you give me a door of opportunity in my family, in my friendship group, in in my university, in, in my workplace, in my social networks, And he says, not only would you pray that, church, would you pray that for us, people? There's another time to one of the churches that he says, a door has opened for me for effective witness. Something was going on, and he says, guys, the door's opened. Will you pray? Will you pray that I'll have courage to go through it? Will you pray that I will be faithful, that I won't hold back, but I'll take this door of opportunity that God is opening and we'll go through it, and he'll be very fruitful through me. I want to suggest to you guys, those are good prayers for us to pray. Lord, will you give me opportunities? You might be thinking of your studies, your career, your, your, your relationships, to say, Lord, I want to count for something in this life. I want my life to be about significance. Whether you're the introvert or the extrovert, to pray, Lord, will you open a door of opportunity for me? Saul at Troas, thinks that his life has kind of shut down for a season, and his passion to go and tell is halted, and then suddenly a revelation in the night. Look at the next verse, verse 10, and when Paul had seen the vision, now the guy that's writing this is Luke. Dr. Luke from the gospel, who's with Paul on these great adventure journeys. They call them the missionary journeys. So he's with him. He's a younger guy on the team of the apostle Paul. And he's writing this later on about what happened there. So he says, and when so not only is Paul stuck, but all his gang and his team are stuck with him in Troas, where they don't want to be. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia. I think that that immediately needs to be done if we could d- demonstrate it dramatically on the stage today. We would probably want to do it kind of with flashing words. We'd want there to be some kind of noise there because actually th- th- there's relief in that word immediately. I can imagine Paul getting up from, the vi- from the, 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 his sleep, And the vision that he's had and waking everybody in the house where they were staying saying, guys, get up, pack your bags, we're leaving. Where are we going? Are we going to Asia again? No, we're not going to Asia. We're going somewhere else. God's just spoken to me in the night. And do you know where the vision is calling them to go? He sees a guy from Macedonia. That's not Asia in this direction, but it's Europe, it's Greece. He sees a guy saying, Come over and help us. Like big flag. Hello, Paul. Paul in Troas, come and help us. What does he mean? Come and bring Jesus to us. Come over and bring us the word of life that you are carrying. And so it's a turning point, not just for a bored apostle in Troas, but for the whole cause of Christ Because at that moment, Paul and his team take the first tentative steps into Europe. Very quickly, we find them in a city called Philippi, which is in Greece today. And they come on the outskirts of the city to a a, a, a group of people, but to one lady. She's called Lydia. And Lydia is a, a woman of some influence and substance. They've not yet got even into the city, but hurrying into Macedonia and into Europe in response to that heavenly summons, vision, in the night, they speak with Lydia. And Paul leads her to personal faith in Jesus Christ. She's a wealthy woman. She's she's a, a, a dealer in, in in business, in, in purple, in the purple colour and dye that they used, and it was highly prized. So she's a woman of influence, she's a woman of some substance and some wealth, and immediately not only does Lydia become the first European follower of Jesus, but she becomes the gateway into the community as Paul and his team start church in her house. And a whole household with all her workers and all those that live with her are the first group that commit to following Jesus in Philippi. It's a moment in time where a guy that thinks he's going in one direction, who's really passionate about serving Jesus with his whole life and all his talent, all that's in him, finds himself stuck. Finds himself in a season where he doesn't know what to do next where he may be frustrated, where he may be confused. But I think it speaks to every one of us about the purposes of God. You see, I started this morning at the earlier services by saying that Jesus still comes to real people in real places. You know where you are. You know what your world is like right now. 21st century Britain, with all the changes in our society and all the acceleration of this and that, and in the midst of that, to be faithful to the love of God for your life and his his personal mission for your life. You need to know who you are, whose you are, and that he has a great purpose for your life. But you also need to listen for the leading voice, the inner voice of the Holy Spirit into your own life. Times and seasons to advance and to keep going in the direction you're going. But times when circumstances, events, Even the will of God brings us to a halt. It's a time for fresh revelation, for God to speak afresh and to give us the next steps. But what I absolutely know that is as we seek him together, God is determined to bring a new day. I just wonder in our society right now, as people are concerned and anxious about so many things, as people are spiritually kind of incredibly hungry for reality, but maybe in their own way have thought they've made up their mind already about Jesus and who he is and what he might have to say to their life, that we can come afresh as a people and say, God, here we are. It feels a little bit like sometimes we're trying to go this way and that way, but we just want to hear from you afresh. Will you speak to us? Will you speak to us in the places that we're at right now? And will you give us a clear, fresh vision for those that are all around us and those that are far off? I have a feeling that in this room today, there are some people that would say, I'd love a fresh word from God that loves me, that speaks about my next steps in him, giving my heart and life to him. I want to live full. I want to live for significance. I'd love God to speak afresh to me. Will you bow your heads with me for a moment before I hand back to the guys? I want to pray a prayer just simply that he come to us in the journey and the story of our lives. Some of you, you might say, Chris, you don't know. I'm, I'm at a place, I'm stuck. I, I don't know what to do next. And I'm saying to you, God speaks your language. He knows the situation you're in. And he wants to speak right into your life and heart. But he tends to come personally. Oh, there might be others that confirm it. But he tends to come to those that are at a point instead of just rushing on they're saying here I am lord what would you have me do and i want to pray a simple prayer that you'll receive him in the fresh moment of a familiar situation say lord here i am speak to me for some of you it's not crisis point right now in fact if anything it's the opposite the blessing of God is something that you recognize in your life, but you're hungry for more of Him, for more of His power, more of His purpose, to be released in your life. Let's pray. So Father, it's amazing that we get to worship together, and that from our combined voices and hearts open to you, you can gain pleasure. You can be blessed. But Lord, we recognize that not only do we reach out in worship to you, but you come to us. Today in this service, I pray that in these coming days and in this season, you would speak fresh words into my life, into our lives. Words of hope, words of new direction, words of breakthrough. And that when you speak, like Paul and these guys on his gang, we would immediately respond. Because when we respond, there is fruit, there is breakthrough, there are lives that are waiting for our response. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come more and more to us for the real places and the real lives that we are surrounded by and we're embedded in. And give us fresh doors of opportunity. And as they come, give us fresh courage and that absolute conviction that you're going to be with us as we go to them. And we are going to give you praise for all that you do. And everybody said, Amen.